you've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and supporting the Black Man with a Gun Show. This week on episode 505, I decided to change up the opening a little with some music, some new music. You know, it's New Year's and all. And I'm remembering how much the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King changed in my life. Michael's talking about the firearms that he's eyeing. And I got some stuff about big guns and big fun from my brother, David B. Cole. This is the Conscientious Weekly Podcast that talks about firearms and things of interest to the gun community. Don't let the name scare you. This is the pro-fun, pro-gun show with history, commentary, news, interviews from all over America. Hi, my name is Ken Blanchard and I've been a gun rights activist since 1991. And you just discovered the show with over 1.7 million downloads with celebrity guests, new products, and good people making a difference. After John Wayne leads us in the Pledge of Allegiance, let's get this party started. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I hope you like the new music because I was in here kicking it, dancing like old school there for a minute. How are you doing? So glad you decided to join me again. Did you catch that new intro? Kind of explains it all, doesn't it? If I'm missing something, let me know. Blackmanwithagun.com is the website where the show notes and all contact information can be found. I'm also on Facebook, and you can hit me there at Blackmanwithagun1 or at Ken Blanchard. And remember, that's Ken with two N's. This week, there was a really cool article that David Cole wrote talking about a 50 caliber conversion kit for a Glock. So he's shooting a 50 caliber special bullet out of a Glock. And the bad news is I screwed up. I caught a whole bunch of crazy um, files and it was slowing down my computer. So I decided to delete a whole bunch of stuff. And guess what got deleted? Doggone it. Bless my soul. So if you could, please go over to Big Gun, Big Fun, the article by David Cole at BlackManTheGun.com and give him a thumbs up or a tweet or something the show that you saw it. He says that when he was asked to review this gun crafter industries Glock conversion kit in 50 GI, his first reaction was, what is it for? He said he's a practical gun guy and he couldn't figure out what niche this gun would fit in. What's cool about Dave is that he's a competitor and a teacher and he's open-minded. And he decided to just give it a whirl and find out that if nothing else, This gun is just fun to shoot. And I'm not even giving the review justice. Because I'm still, still kind of crying about me losing it. But you can read about it at blackmountagun.com. Sorry, Dave. We talked for a good 15 minutes about this thing. And that thing got lost in the ether. This portion of the show has been brought to you by the United States Concealed Carry Association. The USCCA has been providing education, training, and self-defense insurance to responsibly armed Americans since 2003. Join Tim Schmidt and myself here at usconcealedcarry.com. 
I'm going to bring Michael up in here real quick before I go back into history and talk about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Is that all right with you? Cool. What you got for me, Michael? Take it away, brother. Thank you, Ken. And welcome to another Tips and Review segment. I am Michael Woodland of m-wtactical.com, and today we're going to discuss firearms I've been looking at. For the past few weeks, I have been getting emails asking me about firearm selection. Since the November time frame, I've been out viewing some firearms that has been on my radar for some time now. Here are some I've been looking at for the past couple weeks. There has been a lot of talk about the 6-hour P320. So one day I decided to go to my second favorite store and take a gander. After seeing the handgun, it was nothing that popped out like, this is awesome. At the moment I put the firearm in my hand, I was taken back a bit. The P320 felt really good in my hand. This is a handgun I will consider adding to my collection in the future. I did not get a chance to fire it to compare, but from all the talk about this firearm, it will be a winner. Since I will be getting more into the long-distance precision game, it's time to start looking for a rifle that I can maneuver with while in competition. There are two firearms in 308 that really has me up in the air. First will be the Daniel Defense DD-5V1. Daniel Defense has been on my radar now for some years after shooting my buddy's rifle. After reading all the reviews and actually putting it in my hand, I knew this is one I have to take home. Now, I just need to stop going to the website every day and looking at it. But one day, this rifle might make it to my collection. The second rifle I've been eyeing is the LaRue Tactical OBR. I actually had the opportunity to get my hands on one and fire a few times. This rifle is remarkable and does everything the company says it will. When I first had the chance to shoot it, everyone was laughing at me for how I was doing a once-over over the rifle. The only reason is because this rifle was shooting as good as the bolt rifle I was shooting. As you can see, the choices has me up in the air. Chime in and tell me what firearm you have your eyes on and if you are deciding to pull the trigger on the purchase or not. Tune in next week as we tackle another area of marksmanship for another tips and review segment. Thank you for all those who follow and support the M-W Tactical Facebook page. If you haven't done so, look us up on Facebook and hit the like button and join in on the many discussions that are taking place. If you are more into photos, follow me on Instagram at MJ Woodland, where you can get an up-close and personal involvement of my daily life and involvement at the shooting range. If you would like to read more about us, do so by going to www.m-wtactical.com where you can easily connect with us on any of the previously mentioned social platforms while looking at pictures, viewing future classes, ordering products, emailing us, or even listening to the current week of the Black Man with a Gun podcast. For those who want a more direct approach, just call us at 803-250-1256 and let's discuss whatever is on your mind from shooting classes or just inviting us to come to your upcoming event. Until next week. Keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun. Back to you, Ken. Thanks, Michael. You know, one of the things that we often forget about is that shooting is fun. You don't have to, everything doesn't have to be self-defense. Everything doesn't have to be um, competition. 
It could be just for the sake of blowing up paper or shooting steel. One of the best times I've ever had was I was a contestant or a contender for a spot on a reality show out in Hollywood. I had made it past, you know, all the prelims and I got a ticket out to California and myself and six other guys were competing for a spot. I think it was going to be two or three hosts of a show by Spike TV. Right around the time of uh, Columbine, I think it was, or maybe it was Sandy Hook. But whatever happened, it was like a bad time for another gun show. Because they pretty much cut out everyone that had one except for Duck Dynasty. Duck Dynasty even changed a little bit. It became more comedic and less uh, duck hunting. Sign of the times, I guess. But this show had us just doing crazy stuff. I don't even know if it would have lasted. But it was fun to to go to Hollywood to meet these guys. And we were in competition with each other for this spot. And one of the things we had to do, which I thought was hilarious, was we were to shoot different things. Really weird stuff. I mean, it was kind of like the American Ninja, but with guns. And one of the things we shot was a flintlock rifle. We had a technical person teach us how to use it. The rifle was about six foot tall, which was amazing. Shot a 50 caliber ball round. And we were shooting it at an orange crust, orange crush soda stand. It was kind of like a pyramids of orange sodas out in this field. And we were dressed like Pirates of the Caribbean. The bad part was the jacket was the same jacket for all seven of us. So on me, it was like a shooting jacket. It pretty much didn't move. It might have been 10 sizes too small, but it just kept me locking my arms in. And after probably four attempts, I think it was, I finally got up to to shoot against another guy. And I hit my target, and they all said, yes, because you're old. I was the oldest of the seven, which was kind of funny. But it was great shooting, that old antique firearm. And shooting a stack of orange sodas made it even funnier because, of course, once you hit the bottom, there was an explosion of the sodas and all the cans fell down. It was just interactive and oh, it was just cool. There was just so much to shooting other than going to the range and popping paper. If that's all you do, you're missing out. I'm telling you, there are just so many other things you could be doing. When you shoot steel at one of those targets that... You can do competing trees with. Oh, that is the bomb. You got to try that. Even if it's a simulation and you're doing it inside of a you know safe environment where there's actually no recoil, it's still a great teaching tool. Fun and firearms. Don't forget that. We get too serious sometimes. Just a little reminder from your friend and brother from another mother. This portion of the show is sponsored by CrossbreedHolsters.com. Crossbreed Holsters has gained national recognition as a maker of the best and most functional concealment holsters available on the market today. Each holster is handcrafted to ensure your firearm is safe and secure while carrying, combined with the best customer service in the industry. Visit CrossbreedHolsters.com. This year, January 16th, 2017 
the U.S. celebrates Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. It's a big deal. Folks kind of take it for granted that it's always been this way, but it hasn't. After Dr. King's death, U.S. Representative John Conyers, a Democrat from Michigan, and U.S. Senator Edward Brooke, a Republican from Massachusetts, introduced a bill in Congress to make King's birthday a national holiday. The bill first came to a vote in the U.S. House of Representatives in 1979, but it came five votes short. Two of the main arguments mentioned by opponents were that it was a paid holiday for federal employees and that would be too expensive, and that an honor or day to honor a private citizen would be contrary to a long-standing tradition. You see, King had never held a public office. Only two other figures have national holidays in the U.S. honoring them, George Washington and Christopher Columbus. Soon after that, the King Center turned to support from the corporate community and the general public. The success of this strategy was cemented when musician Stevie Wonder released the single Happy Birthday to popularize the campaign in 1980 and hosted the Rally for Peace press conference in 1981. Six million signatures were collected for a petition to Congress to pass the law. Termed by a 2006 article in, quote, The Nation, as the largest petition in favor of an issue in U.S. history. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was probably my first hero. I heard about him all my life. He was alive when I was alive. He was a Baptist minister and a social activist. He played a key role in the American civil rights movement from the mid-50s until his assassination in 68. He was inspired by Mahatma Gandhi. He did some smart stuff back then. He used the economically disadvantaged and victims of injustice through peaceful protests. He found the morality that was left in this country. He was a driving force behind the Montgomery Boycott, the March on Washington, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the Civil Rights Act of 64 before that, and he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. It was the first time I have even heard of the thing, and he won it. In my grandmother's house in Tidewater, Virginia, there was a huge picture, probably 11 by 17, of Jesus. And next to him was a picture of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So to my grandmother, he was up there. So to me, he was up there too. After my mother married and we moved to Maryland, I remember very vividly the day in April when we were let go early from school and we were told to run home. Somebody shot the dreamer, I heard. And the fear and the anger and the tears from my teachers was all I needed to know. I ran the probably three miles to my house metal lunchbox clinging against my legs as I ran. But I wasn't by myself. There was a mass exodus of all little kids. He had been shot while standing on a balcony at a motel in Memphis where he had traveled to support a sanitation worker strike. After that, riots swept all the cities. President Johnson declared it a national day of mourning. Direct from our newsroom in Washington, in color, 
This is the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite and Russ Hodge in Memphis, Tennessee, Dan Rather in New York, Bernard Kalb in Saigon, Marvin Kalb in Wellington, New Zealand, and Bert Quint in Quezon, South Vietnam. Good evening. Dr. Martin Luther King, the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. Police have issued an all-points bulletin for a well-dressed young white man seen running from the scene. Officers also reportedly chased and fired on a radio-equipped car containing two white men. Dr. King was standing on the balcony of a second-floor hotel room tonight when, according to a companion, a shot was fired from across the street. In the friend's words, the bullet exploded in his face. Police, who have been keeping a close watch over the Nobel Peace Prize winner because of Memphis' turbulent racial situation, were on the scene almost immediately. They rushed the 39-year-old Negro leader to a hospital where he died of a bullet wound in the neck. Police said they found a high-powered hunting rifle about a block from the hotel, but it was not immediately identified as the murder weapon. Mayor Henry Loeb has reinstated the dusk-to-dawn curfew he imposed on the city last week when a march led by Dr. King erupted in violence. Governor Buford Ellington has called out 4,000 National Guardsmen. And police report that the murder has touched off sporadic acts of violence in a Negro section of the city. In a nationwide television address, President Johnson expressed the nation's shock. America is shocked and saddened by the brutal slaying tonight of Dr. Martin Luther King. I ask every citizen to reject the blind violence that has struck Dr. King, who lived by nonviolence. Dr. King had returned to Memphis only yesterday, determined to prove that he could lead a peaceful mass march in support of striking sanitation workers, most of whom are Negroes. Dr. King had this to say last night about the situation in Memphis. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest for right. There was shock in Harlem tonight when word of Dr. King's murder reached the nation's largest Negro community. Men, women, and children poured into the streets. They appeared dazed. Many were crying. A young Negro said, Dr. King didn't really have to go back to Memphis. Maybe he wanted to prove something. Dr. King died at 8 p.m. on April 4th. By 10 o'clock at night, a crowd along 14th Street turned violent here in D.C. Off-duty police were called in and a force of 2,500 law enforcement officers managed to reestablish order by the early morning. And by then, 150 stores had been looted and 200 people arrested. The city burned, but it wasn't just here. It was cities across the country. 27 people died in Newark, 43 in Detroit. Angered by poor living conditions, unemployment, and discrimination, young people burned the cities down. Today in 2017, we don't have the same issues. 
we still have unemployment, we still have discrimination, but it's not to the extent that it was in 1968. When I see young people, when I hear young people complain and want to take up arms to do things, I have to scratch my head because they weren't there for this. I know what the enemy looks like, and I haven't seen that person in a long time. The U.S. has changed. We have improved. We have got better. But there are people who like to go backwards. And you can't go forward driving, looking through the rearview mirror the whole time. King's holiday was not an easy thing to do either. Senators Jesse Helms and John Porter East, both from North Carolina at the time, led opposition to the holiday and questioned whether King was even important enough to receive such an honor. King's opposition to the Vietnam War and he was always accused of being a Marxist. Helms had a filibuster against the bill back in October 3, 1983, and submitted a 300-page document to the Senate alleging that King had associated with communists. But on November 2, 1983, President Ronald Reagan signed a bill proposed by Representative Katie Hall of Indiana to create a federal holiday honoring King. And the bill passed. The holiday was observed for the first time in 1986. Now, although it passed as a federal holiday and signed into law in 83, it took longer before everybody acknowledged it. In 86, for example, in Arizona, Governor Bruce Babbitt, a Democrat, created a paid state Martin Luther King holiday in Arizona by executive order just before he left office. But in 87, his Republican successor, even Mitchum, citing an attorney general's opinion that Babbitt's order was illegal, reversed the decision. Later, Mitchum proclaimed the third Sunday in January to be Martin Luther King Jr. Civil Rights Day in Arizona, but it was an unpaid holiday. And in 1990, Arizona voters were given an opportunity to vote on giving state employees a paid MLK holiday. That same year, the National Football League threatened to move Super Bowl, I think it was like 27, which was planned in Arizona for 1993, if the King holiday was voted down. You see, sometimes we think that the problems that we have today are new, but they're not. We just don't know our history. The fact that Russia is a big part of our news right now you just replace that with the fear of communist or the fear of socialist or the fear of Marxism that happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. There's always been opposition. On May 2nd, 2000, South Carolina Governor Jim Hodges signed a bill to make King's birthday an official state holiday. South Carolina was the last state to recognize the day as a paid holiday for all state employees. And prior to this, employees could choose between celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. Day or one of three Confederate holidays. Sometimes on this day, we get carried away and we think that this great man, all he did was say, I had a dream. And that he was without fault. He was a regular dude. But he was a hero of mine. A hero esteemed by my family. So much so that 
One of my uncles told me once that one day, Ken, you're going to be as great as Dr. Martin Luther King. That was some huge stuff to say to a little kid. But all those things, the fact that he was a preacher, a great speaker, a compassionate, loving person, touched me for the rest of my life. And I did want to be just like him. Now, the fact that I combined that with the right to keep and bear arms, twisted just a little bit. And that's only in my family's eyes. In mine, I'm still doing it. So my viewpoint is to make America great by allowing Americans to understand the greatness that we have. To go through all the pain and the struggle that is in the heart and minds of people who don't understand our history or where we could be. So I try to be the patient one, the teaching one, the one who listens and tries to instruct. It just so happens to be combined with my love of shooting and the people in this community. Hunting and outdoors and fishing are also great heritage pieces that only are enjoyed by Americans the way we do it. We do it differently. And I'm so glad about it. Now, usually about this time of the year, the gun rights groups like the Virginia Citizens Defense League will be having their lobbying day down in Richmond. And I just want to give a shout out to all our Virginia people who will be holding their elected officials accountable and showing up in in mass. The death of King was huge to gun rights activists. Because of it, the Gun Rights Act of 1968 was created to help of, with his death, it helped influence people and gave us more restrictions than ever before. But it was also the time of our loss of Robert F. Kennedy and John F. Kennedy and Malcolm X. It was a time of protest, a time of violence. Funny how that kind of seems to go back around every once in a while. This year, in celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King, I'll be on a plane actually heading toward the uh, shooting, hunting, and outdoor trade show. But I'll be thinking about what my uncles told me to do and how my grandmother had high hopes for me to make a difference in this world. Through you, I've actually been doing that a little bit. You helped me remember that this is a great country. You help me remember that there are great people still left. You give me reason to love, to fight, to continue on. Despite what I see on the news, despite what I hear, despite what I read, social media used to help us. Now it just kind of gives ear to the hateful and the, the snarky, the confused, and the narcissistic. But we can use it for good, too. A few years earlier than his assassination, when he was in Washington, D.C. during the um, March on Washington, my stepdad and mother, we lived here. I remember being carried on the shoulders of my stepdad in the sea of thousands and thousands of people. I still have a button from that day that my dad bought me. Were you there? Sounded like this. Come, we shall we shall 
At this time, I have the honor to present to you the moral leader of our nation. I have the pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. One hundred years later, the, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. 
We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment, this sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. 
And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our body is heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not my unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities. Knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal.
have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor, having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. Yeah. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day with all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, 
we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. See, I don't know whether you were there or not, but you don't hear this enough. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., reoccurring themes of solidarity and brotherhood, was heavily influenced by his Christian roots. The frequency in which he refers to the U.S. populace as God's children is superficially a reference to the Christian tradition, as I call you all the time, my brothers and my sisters. By likening himself as a modern-day Apostle. I try to do the same thing. Can you see the difference? Can you see where I get my power from, actually, or my motivations, my inspirations from? If I would pull back the curtain, you'll see that all that I've tried to do, he started. To bring people together. The gun community is unique because we understand our rights. But it's really easy to get it twisted, to make it a us versus them, when it's really all about equality and responsibility. The Apostle Paul brought together his world with God's word of love, just as King did it with the United States in his messages. I try to do it right in line with those two. So you hear me talk a lot about love and brotherhood and sisterhood because somebody has to do it if you go in the shot show please find me i'll be running around there trying to make some connections i got some high hopes for this year some really big high hopes i'm going to try to work um, to get some video stuff going on television and in a big way so you'll see me in a suit most of the time but still stop me for the hug be great to see you. Well, that's it for this week. I want to thank you for joining me. And if you like what you heard, please tell somebody. Dr. Martin Luther King said, We've learned to fly the air like birds. We've learned to swim the seas like fish. And yet we haven't learned to walk the earth as brothers and sisters. Until next week, just in case nobody has told you this today. I love you, and there's not a darn thing you can do about it. Shalom, baby.